0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. It gives us a confidence as we go through life. It gives us a reason to believe and have hope and have expectation so that our days when we wake up in the morning aren't filled with with anxiety and worry and fear and, and shame and condemnation and all those things, but that we would wake up in the morning with a confident expectation that He is who He said He is and that we can be who He's called us to be. He's not a frustrating God that calls us to live in a level that He doesn't empower us also to live. He's never asked us to do something that He hasn't enabled us to do. If we trust him and obey him. He's never called us to a level of living that's impossible in him. Never. He's never called you to a battle that you're not expected to win. You realize he's never called you to a losing fight. If you're fighting a good fight of faith, if you're fighting for something he's called you to fight, he has no expectation of you ever losing, ever being defeated because he's undefeated. He's never lost. He's never failed. He won't start now. I love that line. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. And we trust that He's sovereign. We give Him our lives and trust that He really does want what's best for us, even when it doesn't look like it, even when we can't see that it's His best, even when sometimes winning looks like losing to the eyes of the world and in the, in, in the natural. Sometimes winning looks so much like losing that we're afraid to, to do what He's called us to do because it looks like we're losing and then we actually do it and we realize that if we follow what He's calling us to do, we've never lost, we've never failed, we've always won because we manifest the character and nature of Christ. Every time you manifest the nature of Christ in the face of a storm, you win. Because the devil can't change who you are. The enemy can't change who you are. Circumstance can't change who you are. And you're rock solid. And you actually live out what you confess to believe. And you win. That's good news. That's good news. That's the the Gospel's good news. Is because everything He's called us to, He's empowered us to do. We've got to get that mentality out of our minds that says that It feels like we have to qualify everything and say, well, you know, alone I can't do anything. Well, that's fine, but you're born again. You're never alone. And I understand the heart behind it is to remain humble and realize that our confidence isn't in ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, is once you become born again and filled with the Spirit of the living God, He said He would never leave you. He would never forsake you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. So nothing that He's called you to do are you ever going to be doing by yourself. You'll never do it alone. Now you can get off on your own agenda and start doing things He never called you to do and He'll be happy to let you do them under your own strength. And once you're worn out, once you're tired, once you're frustrated, once you've pounded on that anvil for long enough with nothing but the hammer becoming, becoming destroyed, we come back to Him and say, okay God, that wasn't You. I'm not seeing any breakthrough. I'm not seeing any victory. All I'm seeing is frustration. All I'm seeing is me getting worn out, me becoming burned out. You're never supposed to become burned out living the life God's called you to live. And not because it's a lazy life and not because it's not full of challenges and full of things that take your energy and your time to do. It's because He never intends for you to do them in your own strength. And He has an unlimited supply of strength available to you. So if you find yourself becoming burned out, maybe you're doing a little bit too much on your own. It's time to remember that you're not called to do anything on your own. Because He's with you and He wants to be part of everything that you do. If it's something you can't do with Him, it's something you shouldn't be doing yourself. We find ourselves doing things that we can't do through and with Him in the power that He's given us and the strength that He's given us. It's something we were never called to do because we're not called to do anything in this life alone ever again. He wants to be part of everything we do. Not that it won't be hard sometimes. Not that sometimes it won't look impossible That's where we have to know the promises that we have in Him. Uh, Before I get too far ahead, I'm I'm jumping into the message already. I want to take up our offering right now at this time. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two of us are excited about that. (laughs) listen uh i fully understand that there's people how many guys here for the very first time or you raise your hand up if you've never been here don't worry we're not calling you up front we're not going to point you out or do yeah it's okay we do that the second time you come <laughs> the first time we just clap and say we're glad you're here the second time any second time i'm no, just kidding um But listen, I fully understand that there's people who believe the church is a business, that there's people who believe that all the church wants is your money, that that all that everybody's interested in is you coming and paying. And truly, I just want to tell you, if you've ever developed that mindset or you've ever been a part of something that's made you feel that way, can I just assure you of this, that God isn't just after your money. That's the least of what He wants. He's after your heart because where your heart is, there your treasure lies also. And if when we talk about giving, something rises up in you and, and it's okay, like it's better to deal with it and admit it and then you can have the truth come and replace the lie that causes that to rise up. But if when we talk about money, something rises up in you, then we would rather honestly that you don't give, we would rather you just put that back in your pocket because the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so if you're giving out of fear, you're giving out of condemnation, you're giving because somebody told you you have to and not because you are so appreciative of what God has given to you and you want to bless Him with a portion of that back in return, that you want to sow into the ministry here and, and in what God's doing in this body of believers and in the city of Greenville and around the world. If you don't want to be part of that and, and something inside of you is, is is rises up, then then for this week, just put the offering back in your pocket. And then get alone with God sometime and ask Him, why is it that money causes that reaction to me? Why is it that when you ask me to give you my shame and my sin and my guilt, all the things that I've done wrong, I had no problem saying, it's all yours, take it. But when it comes to my money, something in me kind of rises up. And He'll speak to you. And just be honest with Him. If we're never honest with something and we, we, we just act like it doesn't exist, it doesn't just go away. It just gets deeper deeper seated inside of us. And how we, we, we talk about giving here, and we talk about this a lot. If you've come before, you've heard it. If you come again, you'll hear it again. But, but we, we desire to live our lives truly with our hands open before God, with an open hand. You know, if if I have something in my pocket and you put it in my hand and I take my hand and I clench it around it tightly and I put my other hand and I clench it around it really tightly, there is a very real possibility that you will be able to hold on to and keep whatever it is that you have in your hand and that nobody will ever be able to take it away from you. There's every possibility that what I've given you, you will be able to keep for as long as you can hold your hand tight around that, and I can't come and take it from you, and you'll always have that. And that is true, and you have the right to do that. God won't violate that right. But the problem is, is once I've closed my hand and I've grabbed on to what I have, I've also cut myself off from receiving anything else in that same hand. And so while I am holding on to and protecting and preserving what I do have, I'm also missing out on all that was coming. So we want to live with our hands open before God with everything. And not just our finances, right? Our, our time, our resources, our talents, the giftings that He's placed inside of us. We want to live before God with our hands open saying, God, here it is. It's all yours. Take whatever you would like. It's all from you and it's all for you. And in doing so, we posture ourselves to receive everything that He wants to give. And while, he, while, while, while doing that can be scary at times, when you understand who it is that we're standing before with hands open, if we understand the heart of the Father, if we truly know that He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more than does your Heavenly Father, if we really believe that His desire for us is that the plan I have for you is to bless you and not curse you, to prosper you. If we really believe those things and believe in the goodness of the Father, then we have no, hand, no problem coming before Him with our hands open, saying, God, here it is. In whatever area that is. So, not just with money, but if there is anything we notice in our lives that we hold on to really tightly, maybe it's a relationship with a person. Sometimes we can hold on to that and guard it so tightly. Maybe it's an insecurity that we're holding on to and we say, you know, I'll never let somebody see this because the last time somebody saw it, the pain that I experienced was so great that I'm just going to wrap my hand around this and I'm not going to ever show that to anybody ever again. Maybe it's a hurt from the past that we hold on to and it's started to define us because it's given us a victim mentality. We use that as a source of strength now and when something goes wrong in our lives, we run to that thing. And it's actually become part of who we are rather than something that was done to us that we can forgive and let go of. If that's going on in our lives, if there's anything we're holding on to so tightly, I would just challenge and encourage us. Let's open our hands up and allow God to come in and do what He wants to do in our lives in that area. If we trust Him, it's easy. If we know Him, then we trust Him. So God, I thank You for who You are. I thank You for Your promises in our lives. God, I thank You that You said it. God, that You were the one that said that Your plan for us is to bless us and not to harm us. God, that You said You take pleasure in the prospering of Your servants. God, You said these things. These are from Your heart, God. And I I just pray that we would understand, God, that everything we have is from You and for You. God, and that when we give in the offering, it's just us with our with our resources, God, giving back a portion of what you've given us. I thank you, God, that this ministry is good ground, it is good soil, that it does produce fruit. God, that lives are being changed by you through us. And that it will continue to happen. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How's everybody? good um also for you guys that aren't that haven't come very often um if i ask a question it's okay to answer (laughs) um no one's going to come behind you with a ruler and smack your knuckles don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, God sees you every other day of the week, all day long, everywhere that you go. It's not that He hangs out in church and waits for you to come here to determine who you are and what you're like. And it probably is a little bit weird for Him if you're one way the whole rest of the week and then on Sunday morning you put on a different face, a different set of clothes, and a different attitude because you're going to step through those doors. He probably wonders why you feel like for, the, for two hours a week, or here three and a half hours a week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It won't be that long, I don't think. But he probably wonders why you live a certain way all the rest of the week, and then when you come through those doors, you become somebody different. You put on a different face, and you act different. And there is nothing wrong with having a reverence for who he is, but the point is, is if that only is happening on Sunday morning, then something's wrong. If the way that we live changes drastically, if the way that we act, if who we are changes drastically when we come through those doors. And you know, it could be the opposite way. If the only time that I'm excited and celebrate and worship God is on Sunday morning when I'm worshiping with the worship team and with the rest of the church, there's probably something wrong. But the opposite's true too. If I'm living my life one way and I'm, I'm the kind of person that smiles and laughs and has a good time and enjoys conversation and then I step through the doors of a church and I become something different in the name of reverence. There's probably something wrong with that too. Because He sees you. He sees you the other six days. He's not fooled by the one. That used to be a scary thing to me. Like God sees everything that you do until I understood how much He loved me. And that His eyes were upon me because He loves me, not because He's looking for sin. That His eyes are upon me because He's promised to watch over me and protect me and keep me safe and finish the good work that He started in me and that He was actually watching me because of those reasons, not because He was waiting for me to do something wrong so that He could get me. Then it went from being scary to being the most amazing thing ever, knowing that there's nowhere that I've ever walked where I've ever been out of sight of Him. There's nowhere you've ever gone where you've been out of His sight. If that scares you, you need to know His heart for you. you need to know how much He loves you. you need to know why He's watching, because that should be an encouragement. All right, so we're we've been talking about um, the exchange of belts. I mean, we've been talking about covenant for quite a while now, and we've got to the part where we're going to talk about the exchange of belts. And we've been we've been going through the steps of covenant and how the Old Testament covenant that God made with His people was was. Replaced and and transferred over to Jesus, and how it went from a physical to a spiritual in most cases, and and how everything that was done in the old is mirrored in the new, but based on a better covenant with better promises, according to Hebrews. And so um, this week we're talking about the exchange of belts and. And this is one that I actually have had to break into at least two messages because it's just so much that goes with it. Um, and I feel like if I tried to get it all in one message, I would just be flying 500 miles an hour and probably would miss some good stuff. And, um, but the the belt is what held the sword it was what held the weapons and and so when when people would come into covenant with each other they would they would come together and they would exchange these belts and and what you were saying is is now my sword is your sword and your sword is my sword i will fight for you you will fight for me your enemies will become my enemies and my enemies will become your enemies those who come against you are now coming against me and those who come against me are now coming against you it was a complete exchange and this was a big deal back in 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 the old testament days because there was literally physical battles fought all the time and so people would 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 know who people had covenant with and they would sometimes choose whether or not to attack this person based on who they were in covenant with because they understood that they're not just attacking this person they're taking on the person that they're in covenant with also and so before i would come and come against merle i would find out who merle's in covenant with when i found out he was weaker than me then i would destroy merle but if I found out that he was greater and stronger than me, then I would leave Merle alone for the sake of the one that he was in covenant with. And back in those days when they would exchange the belt, it was a big deal. You suddenly now gained an ally. And because covenant was binding until death, what you were stating is, is I will, if required, give my life to defend you. I will give my life fighting you. I'll give my life protecting yours if required because the covenant that we have is made through the walls of blood which says as it is done to these animals let it be done to me if I, bl- if I dishonor this covenant that we've made. And that's the covenant that they made back then was, was basically that if if it requires it I would give my life defending you and I would expect that you would give your life defending mine. Did Jonathan and David come into covenant together and David receives a, a robe in the exchange of coats that we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week and And that was a big deal because the shepherd would now be covered with a princely robe and where he went he would be recognized by the robe of Jonathan and he would be treated differently because of the robe that he was wearing and he would be honored and esteemed in a way that he wasn't when he wore the shepherd's skin. And that was a great deal for David, but Jonathan for his end was receiving David's belt. And now he had an ally who was a fierce and mighty warrior, who was a man of war, who was feared amongst the nations. They would tell stories about David around the campfires. He was almost a mythical creature back in those days, according to historians. He, he was a, a legend that was told around fires because they had heard of what he had done to, to Goliath as a boy and they'd heard what he had done to, to the different enemies that he had fought. And so they would tell stories about this David as they gathered around the fire. And now suddenly Jonathan comes into covenant with David and David, the mythical almost creature, uh, the legend, is now sworn to protect him and fight for him and defend him with his life. David understood the covenant he had with God. We've talked about that over and over again, right? Because David is called a man after God's own heart. In other words, David is somebody who was after the heart of God. And I don't believe it was because of his actions alone, because his actions alone weren't exactly lined up with God's heart all the time. David was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was a liar. At times, right? He screwed up big time, more than most of us would probably ever say that we have if we were to talk about things that we've actually gone through with and not just in our heart like Jesus talked about. We would look at him and we would say, Not really a great person, probably not someone after God's own heart. He takes another man's wife and sleeps with her and then sends the man off to be killed and, to, and sabotages them so that the man would be killed to try to cover up the fact that there's a baby, tries, gets him drunk, tries to get him to sleep with his wife, and the man wouldn't because he was honorable to cover up the fact that he had already done that and that she was now pregnant. All this stuff happened in David's life. I don't believe it was because of his actions alone that he's called a man after God's own heart. I believe it's because he understood and he got covenant, which is the heart of God towards man. It's been his heart from the beginning is to make covenant with somebody, to make covenant with man. And so, it's the reason I believe that David could face the lion, that David could face the bear, that David could fight off these things. He was a small boy. He was the smallest of a bunch of brothers. A Jewish man back in those times, not really big guys. He was probably 5'4", five 5'5", five five, if that. He was small. He was so insignificant in his father's eyes, he wasn't even invited to be part of the family when they were going to be anointing one of the sons to be prophet because in his dad's eyes, surely it's not David. He's the runt. He's the youngest. He's insignificant. There's no chance it could be him. It's got to be one of his brothers, the bigger, the stronger, the warriors. This is the man who would go after a lion when it took a cu- when it took a a lamb and it would go after a bear when it took a lamb and he would go after him and he would defeat them and destroy them and bring the, lion, the lamb back to the flock and he understood the covenant he had with God. He understood that when God spoke to the Israelites in the beginning when he made covenant with them that all those promises were to everybody that God would come into covenant with. He understood that those promises weren't just for those people at that time, but he was making a commitment of who he would be for his people and who he would ask his people to be for him. And David understood this. And so when he comes down, and and if you open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel 17, if you've come to church here very long, this book's probably completely highlighted, re-highlighted, underlined notes everywhere because we talk from this story a lot. But um, if you turn to 1 Samuel 17, we'll see David... Speaking to Goliath, and we're going to start there and kind of jump back a little bit. But in First Samuel uh, chapter 17, verse 45, it says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you today that we can gather around it and study it and hear from it and read. And that you speak through it, God. That it's not a book that sits on a shelf, God. It's your very word. It's who you are. God, that we have written record of who You are and who You want to be and who You've called us to be. God, I thank You that as I speak today that that it would be from Your heart, God. Holy Spirit, that our our ears would be open to hear, that our our minds would be able to understand, that we would have the mind of Christ when we hear these words, that it would go into our hearts and that it would produce fruit, that we would look more and more like Jesus as we're transformed from glory to glory. I thank You for that. I thank You for having Your way, Holy Spirit, in this place. I thank You for even the lives that You've already touched this morning through the time that we had of prayer. And I thank You that You'll continue to encourage and strengthen. In Jesus' name, Amen. So he hears the the challenge of of the Philistine who comes out and he's challenging the armies of Israel. And so David walks up out there and, and as he's getting ready to fight him. He says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And we've been talking about covenant. Anytime you see in his name, in my name, it's always a covenant term. It means in covenant with me. Whenever you hear in me or in him, it's always talking about being in covenant with him. That's a covenant term. And so David comes out and he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I come to you in covenant with the God of Israel whom you have defied. He says, you don't get it. I'm smaller, right? I'm weaker, but I'm not coming to you in my own strength. I'm coming to you in the name of the One whom I'm in covenant with. And because of the covenant I have with Him, I'm going to defeat you. But notice that when when, uh, Goliath was talking to the Israelites, he never mentioned God. In 17, uh, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Notice he never once mentioned God at all. He said, I come to you and I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. But here's the thing, David understood the covenant that God had made with his people. He understood that in the exchange of belts when they made this covenant, the promises that God had given them was, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. And those who oppose you are actually opposing me. And those who make themselves enemies of yours are making themselves an enemy of mine. And it's so ingrained in David, this covenant process. And we see it throughout his life with the covenant he makes with Jonathan, the second covenant he makes with Jonathan, the understanding that he has as we read through the Psalms next week we're going to go through Psalm 23 and we're going to compare that with, with the way that we're called to fight and to war nowadays in the new covenant. But, but David understood, he had an understanding of covenant with God that was so far before his time, so far ahead of, of where the understanding that other people had of covenant, that he, when he heard this man defy the armies of Israel, in his mind, what he heard was this man is defying God. He says, You have defied the God of Israel. But Goliath never mentions the God of Israel. But when David hears him come against somebody who God is in covenant with, all he can hear in his mind is this man is defying God. This man has made himself an enemy of God. And I think that's why David was emboldened. I think that's why David was brave. And I think that's why he dared to challenge and take on the Philistine because he understood this man has just sealed his own fate. He signed his own death warrant because he's made himself an enemy of the living God because he's defied those who God is in covenant with. He's come against His people. And in doing so, He's violated the, co- the contract that we have with God, the covenant we have with God, that I will oppose those who oppose you and I will be an enemy to those who are an enemy to you. In Exodus twenty three twenty, God was speaking to His children. He says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what He says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. If you do what I say, if you do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. And what did God ask of them over and over again repeatedly from the beginning? The same thing that He asked in the garden. The same thing He asked in the covenant with Abraham. The same thing He asked in the covenant with the children of Israel. Trust Me and obey Me. Trust Me. And obey Me. And I'll provide and I'll protect. And over and over and over again, He had proven that to the Israelites. Over and over again. They never should have reached a point where they stood up on a hillside and were terrified of a man down in a valley who came against them if they would have understood that the covenant God made with them was so strong and that God took it so seriously that as He spoke to them, He was actually speaking to God and had made Himself an enemy of God. They were never intended to hide. They were never intended to be fearful. They were intended to remember the covenant that God had made with them, to remember everything that God had done, how many times He'd showed Himself strong on their behalf, and to trust that and allow that to be what motivated them to go and fight. Not how big they were or how small they were. Not how great their armor was or wasn't. Not how big He was and how strong He was. How many men He'd killed. After God led the people out of of Egypt, the Egyptians came after them, remember? Pharaoh changes his mind sends his chariots after them. And as they're, as they're coming to the sea, they get terrified and they get afraid because as they look behind them, there's a desert behind them. And in, in the desert, if there's someone a great way off, you can see the cloud of dust that they're making as they're traveling fast. And so as they turned and looked behind them, they see this huge cloud of dust rolling towards them and they understand it's the Egyptian chariots who are coming and they fear for their lives. And Moses stands before the people and says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What was their command? Don't be afraid, be still. What would allow them to not be afraid and to stand still in the face of the chariots coming after them? Trusting God. See, it's impossible outside of trusting God to not freak out, to not panic and to not look at the natural way that you're going to defeat these people that are coming after you. If you don't trust Him, if you don't have relationship with Him, when you see the dust cloud coming at you, your natural reaction will be to count yourselves and to count them. To think of their weapons, to think of their armor, to think of how great they are, how skilled they are in war. To look at yourself and see the lack that you have. That you haven't been allowed to make weapons while you were slaves. You weren't even allowed to have anything that would resemble a weapon when you were a slave. that, That they kept you under submission, that you weren't allowed to be trained in the art of war and in firing bows and in fighting and with swords, that you couldn't do any of these things. And so the natural thing to do is to look at yourself and what you aren't and what you don't have and to look at them and look at who they are and what they do have and to try to figure out naturally how it is that you'll be able to defeat them. And you never will be able to figure that out because naturally you shouldn't be able to. It was nothing that the children of Israel could think of at that time that could give them a confidence to stand still and not fear as the army came upon them. Nothing. And that's exactly how God wanted it because He wanted their only hope to be in Him. Because this whole time He's taking them out of Egypt and leading them through the wilderness, He's trying to teach them to rely on nothing but Him. You guys, if you find yourselves in a wilderness time where it feels like you've been abandoned, it's probably because God, by the Holy Spirit, just like with Jesus, is leading you into that place to break off the things that you've built your trust in, to break off what you have counted on, the things that have defined you, because He wants you to come to a place where you trust in Him and Him alone. Because as long as you have swords, as long as you have chariots, as long as you have weapons, then you'll always put your trust in them. But when everything is stripped away and you find yourself alone in the wilderness and the cloud of dust is coming at you and you understand I have no way to fight them, I have no way to defeat them, there comes a place in our lives hopefully where because we know Him, we trust Him and we put our faith in Him and Him alone. This has always been God's heart for His people from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. He just wanted them to trust Him. That's why he gave them a choice. He wanted them to choose to trust him, to choose to do what he said, to choose to believe that what he wanted was best for them. He's never been about forcing people, he's always wanted to bring people to a place where they choose it. So Moses stands before them and says that. You realize they didn't even have to fight in this instance. It doesn't say anything about having to fight. David actually had to do something. There was a battlefield. There was a battle to be fought. He actually had to run down towards the battle. He had to fight with the Philistine with his sling. Even though it was just a minimal thing that he had to do, there's something required. But there'd be times in our lives where God calls us into a fight that He has no intentions of us doing anything besides just being still, not being afraid and trusting Him and watching Him deliver, watching Him come through, watching Him defeat the enemy before us. Moses said, you see those Egyptians that you guys can see. In other words, they were close enough to see them you will never again see them in your life. That storm that looks so big, that looks like it's overtaking you, that looks like there's no way that you can defeat it if you'll trust Him, if you'll be still, if you'll put your faith in Him and not be afraid. You'll never see it again once God deals with it. See, that's why we can believe that the promises that God has for us are permanent. That it doesn't have to be something we battle with for the rest of our lives. That the attack of the enemy doesn't have to be something, well, you know, it's just something you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life. God has the ability, if we would trust Him and not fear and put our faith in Him, that the enemy that we see, the battle that we face is something that we will never ever see again. Not that it won't try to attack us, but because of the, the, the promise of God in our lives, if, you know, a thousand may fall on your left and ten thousand at your right, it shall no, by, by no means come near you. You will only with your eyes look on and see the destruction of the wicked. In other words, it's not going to stop. It's not going to go away. It's just not going to be able to touch you and you won't have to worry about it ever again because God will deal with it and fight for you if you just be still and trust Him. This is what Moses was trying to get the children of Israel to understand and God was trying to teach them from the very beginning. This is right at the beginning of their journey. He calls them to a place through a desert. There's no trees, there's no nothing, there's no way to make boats and He calls them to an edge of a sea. So here these people are and they know we are here and we're supposed to get there. There's no way they're going to build any boats. God never asked them to build boats. There's no way that they can fight off the enemy that's coming from behind them. God never asked them to fight them off. He's trying to get them to a place where they understand, if I am going to get where you want me to go, I'm going to have to trust you that you will make the way. Because I don't have a boat and there's an ocean standing in front of me. And I also have to promise, trust you that those people that are chasing me, the enemy that's pursuing me, that you will deal with them because I don't have any weapons. You didn't bring me here and give me any weapons. All you did was bring me to this place and ask me to trust you and not be afraid. And you said you'd deal with it for me. So many times we get wounded fighting battles we weren't called to fight. If they would have turned and tried to fight the, Philist- the the Egyptians, they would have been cut down. They would have been destroyed. There would have been a bunch, bunch of dead bodies laying there by the shore had they not trusted God, had they not let the fear of, of man be replaced by the fear of God and actually obey Him and trust Him. And this is God's heart. Deuteronomy 7:17. 7, you may say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all into all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arms with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all of the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them e- until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. He says, if you look and you see the people that are living in the land that I've called you to, in other words, when God has called you to a place, when God's called you to a, a way of living, and you look and you see the enemy that now occupies that land, you see the problem with you going where God's called you to go, you see the resistance, who it is, it's people, sometimes it's finances, sometimes it's its circumstance, it's our own fear, and maybe it's our past, whatever the case is. And God says, When you look and you see where I've called you to, and you see that there's an enemy there, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. I'll drive them out before you. All I ask is that you don't be afraid. What causes us to not be afraid is trusting Him. If we trust Him, an automatic response is to obey Him. Think about it. Trust and obey. They're not separate issues. One leads to the other. If I trust Him, then obedience is a natural response if I know Him and I believe that He wants good for my life and I believe that what He has, the plan He has for me is good, not to harm me, if I truly believe that and I trust Him, why wouldn't I do what He's asking me to do even if it looks like what's going to happen isn't going to be good? There's been times in my life where I've had to make decisions to do things based on what God was telling me to do that in the natural looked like losing. They looked like the exact wrong thing to do. It was a little bit scary and I had to remind myself that if God's calling me to do this, then it's for my good. It's not to harm me. And even though from the outset I can't see the good in it, and even from the outset I can't see that His plan is for good, I know that it is, so I trust Him. And because I trust Him, then I want to obey Him. Every area of our lives where there's disobedience is because there's a lack of trust. Think about it. If you know Him, and you truly believe in His goodness, and you truly believe that His plan for your life is good, That He wants to make you more and more every day into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That He plans to use you in this earth to bring glory to His name. If you truly believe that, then why wouldn't you obey anything He calls you to do? If there's any disobedience in our lives, it's always the result of a lack of trust. Always. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. See, the things that God does in our lives are never just for the moment. Although we celebrate in the moment, we're excited in the moment. They're also so that when we face the next moment, we remember what God has done and it gives us a confidence going forward. Remember the battle that God's brought you through already. He says to him, look, remember what He did to the Egyptians. Remember what He did to Pharaoh. You saw who He is. You saw Him come through on His promise to provide for you and to protect you. You've seen these things with your own eyes. Well, remember them well when you look forward and you see the next battle because God didn't just do what He did for the moment. He did what He did to show you who He is and give you a confidence in the next one. It was never so that you could say, wow, that was amazing, God, and then turn to the next problem and look at it the same way you did before the last time He came through. It's to change the way you think. It's to adjust our mindset. It's to, so that we have a trust in His goodness. It's to build in our minds His reputation so that the next time we face a battle, the next time we face an enemy, rather than facing it on our own, rather than being fearful, rather than being disobedient, we look at it through the lens of remembering what God has already done and a confidence that He'll do it again. He's never failed and He won't stop now. Over and over again, the command, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be terrified. Do not have dread. Do not be afraid of them. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do you know that Jesus said do not fear more than He said anything else in the Word? It's the command that He gave more times than any other command, more than love, more than anything else. He said do not fear. Yet the same Jesus that said, you've heard it said that if you kill your brother that you're guilty of murder, but I say if you harbor anger in your heart towards him, you're guilty as murder. The same Jesus who said don't harbor anger in your heart towards your brother said do not fear. We treat one as a suggestion and the other as a command. Do not fear over and over again. Fear not. Do not fear. Fear not. Have no fear. Don't be afraid. Over and over and over again, Jesus told the disciples and those who would listen to His teachings not to be afraid. Why? Because fear will cripple us and keep us from doing what we know we're called to do. Fear will cripple us and keep us from acting in faith. So over and over again, God says... Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And it's always because of a promise that He gives. Every time He said, don't fear, He connected it to a promise that He made for His people. In other words, it wasn't just, oh, don't be afraid. It was, don't be afraid because I have promised. Don't be afraid because what I have done. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be afraid, remember the promises that I made. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And over and over again, it's attached to a promise. It's attached to something that He said that He would do. In other words, if you are afraid, it's because you're forgetting what I've already spoken to you and what I've already said to you and what i've already done for you so don't be afraid because i have don't be afraid because i will over and over again god says deuteronomy 20 when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours do not be afraid of them why because the lord your god who brought you up out of egypt will be with you when you are about to go into battle the priest shall come forward and address the army he shall say hero israel Today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The kids are having a good time in there. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the things that our kids are learning in there. I do. I love the things that they're being taught in there. I wish I would have known those principles. And I'm not... I'm not angry that I didn't. My parents did the best they could to raise me up in the, in the right way and teach me the Word of God. But I wish I would have known some of the things that I hear my kids saying now when I was a kid. I wish that I would have started where they started. Some of the things that they come home and tell me, it took me 25 years of, of heartache and, and absolute disaster in my life for me to learn. And they're actually getting to face life knowing that rather than have to go into life to learn it. I love that. And I'm so thankful for every one of you guys that helps out in any area of the children's ministry and pours into those kids. Do you realize that 80% of what what we believe as adults is is decided by the time that we're 12 years old? 80% of the opinions that you'll carry for the rest of your life are decided by the time you're 12 years old. It's important that they hear the truth. But the voice of truth is louder in their ear than the voice of the world because the wisdom of the world is always speaking. There's got to be a voice of truth speaking in their life louder, more consistently, more often. You guys that are parents, remember this. Every time your kid turns on the TV, 90% of the time, it's the wisdom of this world speaking to them. When they go to school, most of what they're hearing is the wisdom of this world. When they're surrounded by their friends, most of what they're hearing is the wisdom of this world when they go anywhere, most of what they're hearing is the wisdom of this world. There has to be a consistent voice of truth that speaks louder in their ear than the voice of the world. It's not just a Sunday morning thing and we give the obligation off to people who work in children's church. You guys are the priests of your home and it's your obligation responsibility and it's your pleasure and delight to be able to pour truth into your children and raise them up in godly homes knowing and loving God. Knowing who they are when the voice of the world starts to speak it doesn't it contradicts what they know already to be true and it's a whole lot easier to reject it than if there's an empty void there when it comes in because if there's a vacuum it'll be filled by something that was that was free that was for your tithe that wasn't in the notes But he says when when you go to war, don't be afraid, don't be terrified, don't panic. All these things he says over and over again because the promise is always I'll be with you, I'll fight for you, I go ahead of you over and over and over again. And think about it, what good is knowing what God said if it doesn't change the way that we live? What good is having a covenant if we don't trust in it, don't believe in it, and don't live our lives differently? How is our life any different before we had a covenant with God if we don't live in and understand the promises that we have and live as though they're true? What good is it? See, because everybody that was a child of Israel, one of God's people, had the same covenant that David had. The only difference is that David understood who he was to God and the covenant that he had with God, and that changed everything. Now a a, a young boy comes into camp and looks around at the guys and says, look, don't be afraid, I'll take care of this for you guys. 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid at the time. There to bring food to his older brother's. So David comes into the situation knowing the command of God to not be afraid. And he actually is a man after God's own heart, so rather than be filled with fear, rather than be filled with anxiety, he has an anticipation of what God will do. There's a big difference in being anxious and anticipating. Anxiety says, I don't know what's going to happen. Anticipation says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be good. Just a little twist, just a little difference. One can lead to fear and dread and worry and doubt and all kinds of torment because you just aren't sure how this is going to turn out. The other leads to excitement. The other leads to a place of joy because you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know the One who's promised that it will turn out for your good. And so while you don't know what exactly it's going to look like, David didn't have any idea how this Philistine was going to be handed over to him. He just understood that because he had made himself an enemy of God and because David was in covenant with God, the Philistine would be handed over to him. He didn't have to know the how, he knew the who. In our lives, we don't always know the how, right? You don't always know how it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to work. We want God to show us everything, but we're not like Him in that we don't see the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. But if we trust Him, even if we don't know how, we understand that it will be for our good because we know Him and we trust Him. And so when we obey Him, we expect that He will make good on His promises to us if we just trust Him and obey Him. And so David walks into the camp and it says, that, um, that Saul calls for David because his words were here. in 17.31. It says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told, him to, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So he's telling the people, I'll go and fight this Philistine. And, and, and they go and they run to Saul and they say, there's a 14-year-old kid in camp that says he's going to fight this Philistine. Realize it had been 40 days now that this man had been challenging the armies of Israel. For 40 days they had been cowering from him. For 40 days they had been hiding from him. For 40 days he had given them every single day their daily dose of fear and it had driven them back up into the hills and nobody was daring to go down and fight with him. And all of a sudden a 14-year-old boy walks into camp and says, I'll go fight him. And they go to the king and they say, there's this kid and he's a shepherd boy. He's a little kid. He says he's going to go fight the Philistine and Saul actually calls for him. How does a 14-year-old shepherd boy end up in the presence of the king? end up standing before the king, end up with the king asking him questions and wanting to know who he is and where he's from and what he's going to do. It's because in your life, if you will just simply trust God and take Him at His word, it makes you stand out and it will gain you an audience that you could never get on your own with your natural talent your natural abilities. People who actually trust God and take Him at His word stand out amongst the crowd. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm saying in the world of Christianity. People who actually believe God and say, I don't know how and I know what life says and I know what's happened in the past and in no circumstance, but this is what His Word says and I believe this over what I see because I walk by faith and not by sight. People who will live this way, truly live this way, not just say it. It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say, well, this is what God said. It's another to actually believe it to the point that we make decisions based upon it as though it's true. Because all the soldiers could stand up there and and talk about what God could do, but it didn't actually change anything about the way they lived their lives because at the end of the day, they were still up on the hill terrified. They knew the promises. People knew the covenant. They would have told stories around the fire about what God had done, but that didn't do anything for any of them. It didn't cause any of them to do anything besides hide when they saw with their eyes what was standing before them. Simply saying what God can do and then judging whether He will by what we see makes us no better than the army of Israel sitting up on the hillside terrified and afraid. He said, if we defeat you, you'll become our slaves. The truth is they were already the slaves of the Philistines because they did exactly what the Philistines wanted them to do every time Goliath walked into the valley. So many of our lives we're slaves to things because we're afraid to face what it is that we feel like is taunting us. What it is that's down in the valley shouting. And so every day we get up and we know the promise of God, but we don't actually live our lives as though it's true and we're actually a slave to that thing anyways. It's already defeated us because it keeps us from living the life God's called us to live. And it keeps us living in reaction to what it's saying versus what He said. If we just live our lives, I mean truly live our lives. Like you believe that Jesus Christ dying on a cross is the greatest gift that God's ever given to mankind. But when we have conversations with people, is it the most important thing in the back of our minds as we're speaking to them that if I leave this conversation with this person, I may never talk to them again, do I need to make sure that they know that God loves them and sent His Son to die on a cross for them? And that's not to be legalistic and say you have to speak to everybody about Jesus. It's what out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. If what's in your heart is gratitude and gratefulness for what God's done for you, then it will find its way into your mouth and find its way into their ears. I promise. Because a good burger comes up in conversation really quick. When we find a good restaurant, we're quick to tell people about it. When we find a good deal on something, we're quick to tell people about it. If it doesn't come out of our mouths when when we're speaking to them, there's something in our heart that's lacking because it's out of the abundance of our heart that our mouth speaks. And so that's not to try to drive you to be evangelists legalistically. That's to say that our relationship that God desires for us to have with Him is so deep and to the level that we love Him to the point that when we talk to people, we can't help but talk about Him. My wife doesn't have to remind me when I, she gets up in the morning, hey, you should say something nice about me today. She doesn't. If she did, I'd be doing it for the wrong reason. I'd be doing it because she told me to. Right? And while it may accomplish what she wants it to accomplish, on my end, there's something wrong if my wife has to tell me that I should say nice things to her. And if I have to tell my wife when she gets up in the morning, hey, you should probably not date another guy today. She may not do it, but if she's only doing it because I told her to, something's wrong. Our relationship should be deeper than that. There should be a love that we have for each other and a commitment that we have for each other where when she gets up in the morning, not because she doesn't want to make me angry, but because she loves me, she does the things that I would want her to do. That's how it should be with God, right? Not because we're afraid that we're going to make Him angry and He's going to strike down with His club from the sky, but because we truly love Him, we want to do the things that He calls us to do. David understands this. He understands, listen, God loves me. Over and over again in the Psalms, he talks about God's love for him. And because of this, because he understands God loves him and that He's for him and not against him, it gives him the strength to do it and it brings him into the presence of the King. David trusts God, right? He stands before Goliath. Samuel 17, verse seventeen forty six. He's speaking to the giant now. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I'll give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See, at this point, none of the earth believed there was a God in Israel because all it took was a big man walking into a valley and they ran and they hid as if they had no promise, they had no covenant, they had no God. David's offended because he hears this man speak and he realizes he's defying God and nobody is doing anything. And so he says to him, I'll cut your head off, I'll feed your bodies to the, to the armies of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That all this assembly... In other words, all these soldiers that right now are looking at the size of their sword, the size of their spear, the size of their shield and comparing it to His will all know that it's not those things that matter to God. It's that somebody actually believes Him and takes Him at His word and acts as though what He said is true. And I'm going to go down there and I'm going to fight this and God's going to do this for me to prove to everybody watching that He is the one who goes before us and fights and that if we just trust Him and obey Him and not be fearful that He will do everything that He's promised to do. And it has nothing... To do with your sword, it has nothing to do with your spear. Notice what Saul tries to do. First Samuel 17, 38. This is after he calls David into his presence, and David says, I'll go down and fight him. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Because Saul doesn't trust in God, he's forced to trust in natural things. He's forced to trust in the weapons of this world. He's forced to make his decision based on his armor and his sword. And because he doesn't understand what God's promised, because he doesn't believe God's promise, and we know he doesn't trust God. He's already proven this at this point. That's why the anointing of God is off of his life and now is on David's. Because when Samuel told him, go here, wait for me this many days, and then sacrifice, Saul went to where Samuel told him to go, he brought the sacrifice there, he made the altar, but because he saw the people walking off and murmuring against him, he decided to sacrifice before Samuel got there. Because he cared more about what the people thought and what the people said than what God had spoken to them, because he didn't trust God. If he trusted God, it wouldn't have mattered to him. If the whole country turned and walked away from him, he would have done exactly what God called him to do. But he's already proven over and over again that he doesn't trust God. That he relies on his own understanding. In all his ways, he acknowledges Saul and lets Saul direct his path. And so when he sees the people leaving, he says, I better sacrifice to make them happy. And as soon as he sacrifices, Samuel shows up and says, why have you not done what God called you to do? Well, because of the people. Because I judge what I believe and how I act on what I see, not versus on what God says. And they're just the complete opposite. When we read these stories, it helps to think of it this way, that David is a picture of covenant, that David is a picture of people in right understanding and relationship with God, that Saul represents the wisdom of this world, the worldly way of doing things, and Goliath is the enemy. And so Saul, with the wisdom of this world, says, well, if you're going to go and fight him, then let me give you armor. Let me give you a sword. He does not get it. He doesn't understand that David's not going down there to fight him using what Saul would use to fight. If Saul's sword and armor was good enough to kill Goliath, Saul would have done it already. It had nothing to do, David said, the whole assembly will know that my God does not deliver by sword and by spear. In other words, it had nothing to do with the sword. It had nothing to do with the armor. It had everything to do with God and His promise and simply trusting Him. But Saul doesn't trust God. Saul doesn't understand the covenant he has with God. Saul was anointed by the same man, the same prophet that David was anointed with the same mantle to lead the children of Israel ask somebody, whose anointing would you rather have, David's or Saul's? It doesn't matter. They're the same. They were both anointed to do the same thing by the same prophet in the same way. But one man trusted God, and the other trusted himself. So Saul says, here, take this sword. He doesn't understand that David already has everything that he needs for battle. If we turn to... If we turn to... uh 1 Samuel 16:11. we'll see what David received that he had. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? He's talking about the sons of Jesse and he hasn't seen the king come by. And he said, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The anointing from God and the Spirit of God was already mightily upon David. It's why when he put on Saul's armor, it wouldn't fit. It wasn't comfortable. It's because he was putting on a coat of armor over what he already had from God. And it wasn't supposed to fit. It wasn't supposed to be comfortable. It wasn't supposed to fit. If I took another pair of my jeans and tried to put them on over this pair of jeans, it wouldn't be comfortable. I'd have a hard time walking, especially some of my pairs of jeans. (laughs) They get skinnier and skinnier, right, as time goes on. And... And, and if I tried to put another pair on over these, I wouldn't be comfortable because I'm already wearing pants. I don't need another pair. If I tried to put on some armor over what God's given me for armor, I wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't fit. I wouldn't be able to move. If I already had everything I needed to defeat the enemy, putting something in my hand actually doesn't help me. It harms me. David had everything that he needed because the Spirit of God was mightily upon him. The anointing of God was mightily upon him. Second Peter 1, 2 Peter 1.2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You already have everything that you need in your knowledge of him to fight every battle that you're called to fight. You don't need the weapons of the world. You don't need someone else's armor. You don't need someone else's sword through the knowledge of God, you have everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. See, Saul doesn't trust God. So he has to put his trust in something. You'll put your faith in something, I promise you. If it's not God, it'll be something else. You'll put your trust in something. If it's not God, it'll be something else. And Saul didn't trust God, so he put his trust in his armor and in his sword. It was the best armor in the, in the land would have been the king's armor. It was the best sword in the land. It would have been the king's sword. And so if David's going to go fight, give him the best sword, the best armor, because that's what I put my trust in. The problem with that, if you turn to Matthew, is this. Matthew 26, 51. This is when Jesus is being betrayed. It says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Jesus said, if you live by that thing, you will die by that thing. Put it back. And He undoes the damage that was done by the sword. And He tells Peter, it was Peter who did this, He says, if that's how you live, that's how you will die. In other words, if you choose to fight battles on your own strength, your own might, using a natural weapon against an unnatural enemy, then that will be the same thing that causes you to perish. And the problem with that is, is turn to First uh, Samuel 31, verse 1. This is talking about the end of... Saul. It says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboah. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abedinabab and Malchashua and the sons of Saul. Then the battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. Literally, the very sword that he lived by, the very sword that he offered David, was the sword that he died by. The sword that he offered David was a symbol of not trusting God. And because he didn't trust God and because he wasn't obedient to God, it was the very same thing that in the end caused his downfall, caused his death. And the very sword that he extended and offered to David was the very sword that he held and gave his life into because if you choose to live that way, then that's how you will be choose, you choose to be dealt with. If you choose to deal with things in a worldly way, then you choose to be dealt with in a worldly way. And there's always someone bigger. There's always someone stronger. There's always someone mightier out there in the natural. It's why the story that I told a couple of weeks ago about... The guy whose boss was taking advantage of him and was doing illegal things and he was ready to go get the police. He was ready to go get a lawyer. He was ready to to handle it the worldly way and he got some godly counsel and the counsel was that you you can do that but if you live by the sword, you die by the sword and I would just maybe put your faith in God and trust Him that He'll take care of the situation. And so he walks into the office with the man and the man curses at him and tells him to get out of his office and rather than responding the way the man is talking to him, he gets down on his knees in front of him and says, Peace. I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about this and you're not going to drive me off like you have everybody else in your life. And rather than respond with the weapons of this world, rather than respond the way the man was talking to him, he responded with the weapons that we've been given and he disarms the man by releasing the peace of God and by telling him I'm going to love you even if you hate me and there's nothing that you can do about it. And the situation got resolved and the relationship is still intact. The man's an older man. He's 70 years old. There may not be a bunch of other people coming into his life that know the truth they can speak that truth into his life. And by choosing to go the way God called him to go rather than taking up the weapons of this world, he maintained relationship and he kept the man's ear open to be able to hear the voice of truth and speak into his life. And he's blessed because of it. I'm going to just close up with this. And In this life, we face enemies, right? We face battles, challenges and struggles, but we have a promise. We have a covenant that says that people that come against us, that anything that would come against us is coming against the living God. And in the Old Covenant it was people. It was actual physical battles that took place against people and they would take up swords and they would fight these people. But in the New Covenant it says, Paul says, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the wicked forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Because everything that was done in the natural in the Old Covenant is done in the spiritual in the New Covenant. You had a natural circumcision in the Old Covenant. You have a circumcision by the Spirit on your heart of the cutting away of the flesh in the New Testament. Everything that was old is done in the physical in the new is done in the spiritual. And it's the same thing with warfare. It's the same thing with battle. If we go pick up swords and take on people as though they're still the enemy, we'll leave a bunch of dead people around and we'll have a happy enemy rejoicing. Because they're no longer our enemy. They're no longer the people that we battle against. They're no longer who we do war against. Too many times in the sake of, in the name of, of just, well, you know, it's just the truth. We leave people maimed and bloody on the battlefield when we don't understand that it's not the people that are our enemies. It's the Spirit. It's the power that's controlling them. It's who they've given their voice, their ear to listen to their voice. It's the guiding that they're getting. See, now these, voices, these verses make more sense, right? Because Paul's speaking to people who were brought up actually physically fighting people and he's telling them a new way of living. Just like, you know, Jesus Christ, the, the sacrifice of Jesus replaced the blood of bulls and goats. Right? And that Jesus Christ came and became our righteousness so that now righteousness is a gift, not a wage that we earn by our actions. And that all these different things that Paul was talking about with the, with the, with the gift of grace, right? That it's now by faith you've been saved by grace before it was circumcision now it's baptism into Christ and he's telling them all these things and he's telling them you have to understand the old covenant way of doing things has changed and there's a new covenant based on better promises and it's in that same spirit that he writes these verses our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness in other words you guys have got to stop looking at people as the enemy and understand who the real enemy is things have changed There's a new covenant now. There's a new way of living. And I'm telling you, if you keep fighting people, you're going to destroy the very ones that we're here to save. The very ones that we've been sent as ambassadors, as though God Himself pleads with you to be reconciled. Those same people that we're sent to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven and speak the message of the kingdom to, we will now be fighting them and leaving them behind, bloody, beaten, broken, hurt, wounded. There's a new way of living. There's a new enemy and you have to understand it's not people. 2 Corinthians 10:3 says, "For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ." We have a new enemy. We have new weapons. We have a new way of fighting. Many of the principles carry over from one to the next, right? Trust and obey is always there. It's been God's heart from the beginning is that He would have a people who would love Him. And because of their love for Him, they would trust Him. And because of their trust for Him, they would obey Him. It's always been His heart since the garden and through eternity is to have a loving relationship with people that will trust Him and obey Him because they love Him and believe that He loves them. And He wants what's best for them. Another principle that carries one to the next is do not fear. Over and over again, it's repeated in the Old Testament. Do not fear, do not be afraid. And over and over again, when Jesus comes, He repeats, do not fear, do not be afraid. Why? Because fear will cripple you and keep you from doing what you know God's called you to do. Fear of man, fear of consequence, fear of scorn, fear of rejection, fear of hurt, fear of pain fear of judgment all these things will keep us crippled and keep us from doing what god's called us to do and keep us from living the life that god's called us to live the battle still belongs to the lord don't ever think that you've been sent now out into the battlefield to fight on your own if you, if they needed him back then in the physical how much more do we need the holy spirit in our lives leading us into battle against the spiritual enemy and the battle still belongs to the lord And the people, the the, the enemy who becomes our enemy makes themselves an enemy of God. And those who oppose us oppose God Himself. And He will fight for you. And He will. But a lot of times in the old, you have to remember, God would say, I will destroy them. Now you go and destroy them. I will wipe them out. Now you go and wipe them out. It was always a co-laboring with God. He said, I will be the one that does it, but I want you to be the way that I do it. And in the same way in the new, God still wants to be the one that does it, but He still wants us to be the way that He does it. Because his heart is always to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear against the kingdom of the enemy here on earth through people, through you and through me. So next week we're going to talk about New Covenant warfare, who we fight, how we fight, why we fight. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that, that we have this beautiful written record, God, that we can look to and we can learn from, God. But I pray that more than that, that we would have You inside of us speaking truth to us and revealing truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And I pray that we would be open to hear your voice, hear you speak, and follow you where you lead. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that the promises that you've made in the old, God, that you've kept in the new. God, that you really do fight for us, that you really do go before us, that you really are our real shield, our rear guard, that nothing but your goodness and your mercy follow us. God, that if we look behind us and see chariots, we have to understand that standing between them and us is Your goodness and Your mercy because the Word says that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. God, I thank you for that. I, I ask that you just speak to each of our minds that if there is any fear in us, God, if there is any dread in us, if there is any terror, God, if there is any of this feeling that our lives are ruined because of things that have happened in the past, that if there is any feeling of our lives ahead of us are ruined because of who we were in a, in, before we knew you, before we were born again, mistakes that we've made, God, that you would reassure every single person in here, God, that your plan for them is good that You love them, that You have a plan and a purpose for their lives and that they haven't ruined that, they haven't derailed that, God. They haven't sabotaged that by what they've done. God, that You truly will work all things for good of those that love You and are called according to Your purpose. I thank You for that promise. I ask that we would just receive and believe that promise that You are working all things for good for those that love You and are called according to Your purpose. I thank You for that in Jesus' name amen amen yeah next week is going to be i'm so excited about the message next week and and we're going to be talking about new covenant warfare and and who we fight how we fight why we fight what god's part is what our part is because a lot of times i think we get confused on that and we try to do things that god said he would do and we try to have him do things that he's asked us to do and then we wonder why nothing's happening we have to understand what he's said he will do what he's called us to do and we have to understand that in this we play a part yeah um we love you guys we're thankful that you're here and that you came find some people that you don't know um we have youth group meeting tonight at six o'clock here at the church Uh, for all of our middle school and high schoolers. Uh, We're going to have an awesome time worshiping and and going through the continuing in the book of Ephesians like we have been for a while now. invite you guys to come. Bring your friends, um, bring your neighbor kids, whoever that you think might need to come and hear from God. And uh, we'll see you guys tonight. We love you. Have an awesome week.